I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome. Blasted to bring the lumber. I want to welcome to the Tim Graham Show and thank him for his time. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Still my favorite part of that intro is when I said I diddled some pole and Bobby just goes, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, of course you did. I knew that. <laughs> right. Oh, <geez. laughs> I've been hearing all about it. We were expecting it. You all right there, man? Yeah, I got a, what do you call it, in my throat? My a stoma? The, yeah, something. <laughs> I think so. What are my we vaping allergies. today, Bobby? Uh, it's a good time to ask that. I made a nice mix. Uh, it's a peach lemonade, obviously, mixed with... Wait, why uh, obviously? Is that always in I always have a lemonade. That's always in there? I always have a lemonade. Uh, and peach is the one that I have right now, so... Peach lemonade, and you were going to say you mixed and it with? I mixed it with, like, watermelon and uh, a thing called prickly berry. On purpose, yes. or just because that what that's yeah, what no. you had left over? No, I had a little extra bottle. I thought it would be cool if I just kind of you know put all right. it all in there. Easier to carry around. All right. Well, <laughs> let's see if we can't calm you down here. Yeah. Does the vaping <laughs> help or hurt your throat issue? Uh, I don't think it helps. It I don't. It definitely doesn't help. And I have allergies too. So that's our producer, Bobby Rosati. <laughs> you know. Resident Knob Diddler, he's the best producer I've ever worked with. He he juggles all kinds of things. In fact, he's yeah. gonna gets us into the show here. We're gonna have Eric Wood on pretty much right off the top of the show. Jonah Bronstein's here. He's handling things for Periscope. You can see a live stream of the Tim Graham show uh, right now. You can go back and check it out later if you prefer to watch a video version of it, or you can check it out on iTunes or SoundCloud. I tweet it out afterwards. Tweet out those links. Here with the big crooked, Mike Rodak. I'm here. VSPN.com. He's here to add his thoughts on what's going on with the Bills and uh, mm -hmm. the world of sports. A smorgasbord of uh, things to talk about today. We have all kinds of Bills talk, Kelvin Benjamin decision, uh, how Josh Allen looked on Sunday, basketball all over the place, UB playing tonight, going for its eighth straight win against LeMoyne. Uh, that's at Alumni Arena, home game for them after coming back from Ireland. UB women are playing great. Uh, the Sabres uh, struggling a little bit since uh, last week's show. As of this time last week, they had won 10 in a row, and now they're flipping around a little bit, flopping around a little bit. Good thing we got it out of the way talking about them last <laughs> that's week. That's right. Now we don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> Matthew Fairburn's going to be on later to talk about uh, Kelvin Benjamin and the inside uh, story as to the Bills' decision on getting rid of him. Uh, but uh, joining us now is former Bills center Eric Wood and uh, columnist with The Athletic. Uh, you can see his work at uh, The Athletic website, uh, along with mine, for that matter. Um, Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I enjoy I think I enjoy your articles better than mine. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, yours are a lot easier to, to do than mine are, I'll tell you that. At least I, uh, theoretically. I mean, not that I would know, Eric, but it seems as though yours uh, come uh, nat very organically and uh, just the words just flow. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm just going off of old experience, I guess. As an outsider, it's a little harder to write and all that, but I get it. So tell me this. <laughs> Watching Josh Allen, despite the loss, uh, that had to get you as a as a former player – but as an offensive lineman, the way he plays, we've talked about it before. The guys, the offensive linemen on the team, Jerry Hughes even said it after the Jaguars game when I asked him how that fight in the corner of the end zone transpired right before the Bills have that goal line stand that really turned the game two weeks ago against the Jaguars. Um, and I asked him about the fight, and I'm thinking he's going to say about the trash talking or who was saying what. And the first words out of his mouth were, well, when our quarterback's playing like that, we have no choice but to fight. Or we have, you know, it, it gets in you. It, it seems as though Josh Allen plays an infectious brand of football that we haven't seen. Uh, what, from your standpoint, when you watch this guy play, what does it do for you um, in terms of uh, your interest or your excitement or, or how you uh, want to see his career unfold? You know, I didn't hear that quote from Jerry, but that reminds me of what people say about playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick only. Um, and these are no knocks on Fitz. You know my affinity for Fitz. Um, but when you have Josh Allen at 6'5", 240, you can throw the ball 70 yards down the field, um, throw a couple balls from the pocket, flat-footed, about 30 yards on, on a dart the other day. Um when you have a guy that plays kind of with that fits mentality, laying on the line for your teammates, you know, having a good time, but also leaving the charge out there. Um, you know, you know, some of the stuff that the young guys see with him going over and say something to the defense, like that's all well and good. Um, but there's, there's at times when the defense would literally tell one of those dudes to shut up, you know, but I, I see them respond because of the way Josh plays. And right, I think you said infectious, and that's um, and that's what it becomes when you see your star player, the guy that's supposed to be out there protecting himself, and it's late in the air, and Builder four and seven, that guy should be protecting himself, making some business decisions. Instead, he runs for should have been over a hundred yards two weeks in a row uh, if it wasn't for the kneel downs two weeks ago. So um, I love the way he's playing. You know, for me, not being part of the team anymore just being a fan of the Bills, it's about his best-case scenario. Yes, we want Josh Allen to learn how to win, and he was inches away from doing that on Sunday. But to not lose any draft position, but still have your quarterback look really good on Sunday, your your first-year quarterback with the surrounding cast he has, man, that's a good sign. That is a nice scenario. Eric, we we're hearing everything you say, but the phone, the line uh, is, is pretty bad. So we're going to, if you could hang up, we're going to call you right back. Uh, just okay. so that way everybody can hear your thoughts a little bit more crystal clear. Um, bear with us for a second, and uh, Bobby, our producer, is going to get right back to you. Um, your thoughts on that, Mike Rodak. In watching this, you've seen a lot of bad Bills football since you started covering the Bills. Now, you were here. You saw you saw Ryan Fitzpatrick. You saw a lot of these guys. What is it that you're seeing in terms of the the tone that Josh Allen is setting? Well, it was funny because, well, I actually wasn't here for Fitz. I came oh, you for EJ's first year, but I was okay. sitting in the press box on Sunday and I turned to Joe Biscalia and he covered Fitz. And I said, there's a little bit of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Allen. And of course, Joe B's like, no, no, you know, they're totally different quarterbacks, which obviously they are. You know, Fitz was, he's shorter, he's just different style quarterback than Allen. Allen's probably more mobile. You think they're different? <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Slightly. I was like, uh. But. 
Well, let's bring Eric from back the, in. Intangible oh, standpoint, right. there are some similarities, and I agree with with Eric on that one. Yeah. So, Eric, because you mentioned it, you know, you get told buzz off or you get your eyes rolled. What is it that allows a guy to make a comment, whether it be um, a quarterback to the defense or a defensive player to the offensive line? What are some of the things that that a guy needs to be to have in his character or to have been accomplished that he can get away with that? Number one, and that number two, it even goes a little farther where the guys will actually listen. Yeah, you know, I, there, there's definitely got to be some groundwork laid on the front end. Um, you, you have to be a hard worker. You know, guys, guys would never respect somebody in the locker room speaking up if you didn't first put in the week throughout the work, uh, the work throughout the week. Sorry. Um, you know, I think that's one. Um, two, probably be playing pretty well, or at least laying it out there on the line on Sundays. Um, you know, if, if Josh was sliding on a third and two short of the sticks, it'd be really hard to go down to the defense and say, hey, let's get a big stop here so you can give me another shot. Um, you know, next time I might, I might lay it out there for you guys. You know, so I think those, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be age or positional. You know, Josh is young, but he is a quarterback, so, you know, that could give you a voice. But neither of those necessarily have to be that. Um, you know, I'm thinking of back to like, I'm trying to put myself into the scenario where I would have told someone to buzz off. Um, maybe, and I hate to pull shots on somebody. I hope this like doesn't go viral or anything, but maybe a guy like TJ Graham who like didn't really do anything. Uh, maybe the name came to me because I'm talking to Tim Graham, but, um, (laughs) you know, didn't do a whole lot in Buffalo. didn't really lay it on the line for his teammates. Wasn't, wouldn't really go across the middle and lay it on the line for us. Well, like he came down to the O line and told us to like, pick it up a little bit, let's start blocking better, told the defense to get a stop, they would literally just shoo him away. Well, Eric, I remember you had an interaction that was somewhat familiar, similar with Aaron Mabin in training camp one year. Would you think that is comparable? Uh, it could be. Um, you know, at that point, Aaron hadn't done a whole lot. He wasn't our hardest worker. He wasn't putting in the time that a lot of us were. So when he – took a shot on Fred Jackson in a, in a drill that was, um, it was, it was a contact drill, but definitely not a tackle drill. Uh, when he took a, a shot from his blind side there, I, I took the exception in no pads that day to go after him a little bit. It happened a few times. Brian Johnson, Walt Powell. Those are some good, good fun fights those days. Yeah, uh, and, and you know what? And I, I don't give him a whole lot of credit for um, stuff I learned throughout my career. But one of the things I learned most from Coach Marone was because um, I used to get in a ton of fights that the media wouldn't even know about in practice because I just wanted to fish it, finish every block, and defenders hate that. And then we'd pick up a guy week ten, and we'd be super sore, but we'd be out of you know out of really the playoff hunt. And these young guys would think, "Hey, I'm going to go make an example of this O line and try and get paid at the end of this year." So then I'd end up getting in a fight with them or something. And Doug Marone pulled me aside. He's like, dude, you have to cut the fights out. We want you to be the leader of this franchise. But every time I turn around, you're getting in a fight. I'm like, I know, but, you know, practice was slow, and I'm trying to set the tone, and I'm trying to finish the guy, you know. It was him that got mad. He's like, Eric, I'm just telling you, you can't be the leader we want you to be, because what what you're doing is you're alienating yourself from a group. Whether it's the D-line, the linebackers, whoever it may be, you're kind of alienating yourself and then you can't reach the team. And, and I do really appreciate Doug Marone making me aware of that 
and then throughout the rest of my career, I tried to chill out a little bit. We're in conversation with former Bills center Eric Wood, and a little bit of uh, news uh, coming through here now. Very small amount of news. I mean, it's not, uh, but it is Andre Holmes. Oh, sorry. Uh, signing with the Denver Broncos, and we'll get to the decision to get rid of Kelvin uh-huh. Benjamin uh, in a little bit. But while we're on the topic of fisticuffs, another guy who would never back down actually went after Marone a couple of times, Jerry Hughes. I was down there in the tunnel. I saw it with my own two eyes. Matt Fairburn and I were standing shoulder to shoulder, and Jerry Hughes comes trotting off the field in Miami. And as he gets close to the entrance to the Bills' locker room, the visitors' locker room at Hard Rock Stadium, he, be, he got into a sprint, and he blitzed right past it and headed right after the officials, uh, accusing uh, the umpire of calling him a bitch, saying that uh, I'm going to get you pretty much uh, when I see you out on the streets. Uh, what can you say? I guess it's a two-part question, Eric. Number one, that situation in general. I mean, things happen. Um, I don't fault Jerry myself. I mean, this is me, a guy who obviously didn't play in the NFL, but – Look, I'm on Jerry's side on this one, um, but also just Jerry uh, as the hothead that he is. Now, he's standing up for himself there, but sometimes he'd go after a coach. Sometimes he'd go after an own, his own teammate. Uh, I'll address the first part first. Um, yeah, it's a, that's, that's such a fine line when you have officials out there, which we respect, and they're a part of the game, but, you, but we can't talk to them, really, you know, without being reprimanded. And we can't obviously be physical with them, um, but then they can use language like that towards us. That's not acceptable. And, and I understand Jerry's had his spat with many officials on the field. I'm, I'm sure he said some choice words to them, too. Um, but the guys in the NFL take offense to be co- being called that. Um, I was surprised you were able to say that on AM radio in Buffalo. Um, I'm not sure further it's down easier. south if that would fly. <laughs> it's but, actually uh, easier on AM. It's e- yeah, that's our producer Bobby. He says it's easier. Not only that, it's even easier yet when nobody's listening. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you know, guys take offense to that, and that that is there, there's worse things to say to somebody. But that is um, that is um, trying to incite violence. You know, that's trying to get a guy going, and, and the ref knew what he was doing, and that's that's unacceptable. And you know, on the on the subject of refs, there would there there's not much that would make me happier in this world than if the referees after games had to get up in a press conference and talk about what happened. They just can affect the game so much; they can affect livelihoods with wins and losses and everything else. There should be a lot more accountability there. I want to see how they get graded out throughout the season. Um, you know, we know the ones that are doing well because they get to ref the playoffs, Super Bowl, whatever. But I want to know what their grades are, what calls they blew. You know, we'll get a we'll get an alert with the Bills on Wednesday. Hey, we blew that call on Sunday. Sorry. Well, I want I want in the moment to know. I want to know after the game that happened, or I, or I want you guys to be able to grill them after a game. So that that's my little tidbit on the officials. And then as far as Jerry, real quick on that, Eric, I'll just to explain because there is a process that's involved, and we were confused on the process. What happens after a game? Um, uh, reporters can request through public relations, uh, and they have to use a pool reporter. And what a pool reporter is is somebody, it's the one person who goes in and represents all the media. You see it in cases of with the president. Uh, there are pool reporters at the Super Bowl when uh, things are closed to the media, but they want to allow one reporter in. Usually it's Peter King and somebody else. And then they type up a report 
for everybody. Well, in the case of a pool reporter for the officials, um, we tried to reach out to the pool reporter, but he's covering, he works uh, for a newspaper there covering the Dolphins. He's in the Dolphins locker room. It happened after the game. There's chaos. So by the time we were able to figure out the pro, uh, to get to the officials, um, they were gone. And so it's another way for the to make it difficult for reporters in a situation like that where we should have gotten an explanation or a response from the officials. We couldn't because of the proto, uh, the protocols that the league makes us go through to, to interview these guys. That's interesting. I, I, I didn't know any of that. That's, that's a really good tidbit there. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry Hughes, though, in, in general, you want him on that fine edge, but a, a ref saying something like that, an, an umpire, a back judge, whatever – Saying something, getting in a guy's ear like that could throw him off for the rest of the game. That could hurt you for a couple series. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, Jerry's got an edge to him, and there's no doubt about it. And that's one of the things I love about playing with him. Now there's times where he got a penalty or something because he was a little too intense. But there's also many times he affects the game because he is literally going so hard every play just because he's got that edge in him um, that that I love playing with him. And... Um, yeah, he, he can be a little bit of a hothead, but he's also one of the most generous guys I've ever been around as far as helping my foundation or anybody else on the team donating his time. Um, he's an unbelievable husband and father. I can't say enough good things about Jerry Hughes, and I think he's an excellent ball player. Uh, makes a lot of plays, disrupts uh, the pocket a lot out on the edge. But, yes, he, he does have a streak to him where um, you can set him off, and sometimes it's hard to cool him down. How much have you heard that sort of language yourself out of officials? Because I know sometimes you watch, uh, they have like NHL refs mic'd up and every other stoppage, they're MFing players and pulling them out of fights and yelling at them, et cetera. There seems to be a lot of dialogue. Baseball umpires powerful. are pretty vulgar. Yeah, well, there was that video that came out with the Mets coach a couple years ago and one of the umpires yelling at each other. Uh, choice language, shall we say. How much does that happen from your experience in the NFL? Not a whole lot. You know, usually it's one-sided. Maybe it's because the player's got a bunch of padding on and a helmet and the refs are a little nervous that maybe you'll come after them if they say anything. I haven't had a whole lot of experience um, with that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and you don't hear a lot of guys complaining about it. You know, you had the Trent Williams incident and Jerry Hughes, both the same official. But other than that, you don't get a ton of back-and-forth dialogue. Um, You know, earlier in my career, I was pretty tough on the refs throughout the game and I found myself getting a lot of calls against me especially in, and there was one year I think I had four double digit penalty games and um, after that season I, I kind of did a little you know, I, I'll like give, I, I do a huge review of myself my, on my play after each season and that year I said man I, I, I either need to change up how I'm blocking because a lot of it was I was trying to finish guys and in the NFL nowadays if a guy hits the ground and the ball goes past you whether you're holding or not it's generally going to get called so, A, I need to stop just trying to finish guys on every play, and which stinks because that's part of the fun about playing offensive line, but it's almost being taken out of the game. And then, two, I need to be nicer to the officials. So I would always know the umpire's first name going into the game. I would introduce myself before the game. If I'd already had him, ask him how he's doing, and then introduce myself to the head ref. And that, I became a lot less penalized. And, and, and I'm assuming part of it's the no finishing people, but – you know those guys. Those guys are real people with real feelings, and when you are a little nicer to them, it seems like you get a few more calls. It's not like early in my career I felt like I was Mike Krzyzewski, 
or Tom Izzo. I'm going to work this ref, and by the end of the game, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want because he's not going to be tired of hearing me. It, it doesn't work like that in the NFL. We're in conversation with former Bills center and multiple-time captain Eric Wood. Um, Eric, uh, the news of the day yesterday, the Bills released Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes, a couple of veteran receivers. Of course, Kelvin Benjamin is the headliner in there. Andre Holmes mostly uh, playing on special teams. Um, what was your reaction to Kelvin Benjamin being cut with four games left in the season? You know, I think it does a couple of things. One, it serves a message because the, the effort is obviously not at a peak there, and I don't know if he's hurting. It's always hard for me to call out effort because I don't know what this guy's going through. If he's got a knee bothering him like he did last year or whatever it may be, but you know, I don't think he's putting himself out there like some of those young cats outside are. And they, at this point, he's just eating up reps. What are the Bills? Four and eight right now. Four games left. Um, playoff hopes likely gone. Let's get some young guys in there, see what we got, get them some real game experience, see if it doesn't pay off um, in the following year. And we'll also send a message that we don't really care who you are with this type of effort and this lack of toughness that's being shown. We'll move on from you. I, I think Andre Holmes is a great special teams player, but I think it's kind of the same beat. Let's get some youth in that spot, whether it be special teams or the limited reps of receiver, and, and get some valuable experience. Yeah, and again, Andre Holmes, uh, the first to find work of the two. He signs with the Denver Broncos. Uh, last question for you, Eric. You mentioned him earlier in the segment, uh, Doug Marone. Of course, the Jaguars are struggling, and the Bills uh, were able to hand him a loss here at New Era Field a couple of weeks ago. What what are you thinking as you see Doug Marone struggle here? Do you, I don't want to I don't want to load the question up too much, so I'll just leave it at that. Because no, I know I that you do yeah. you respected Doug Marone. I know that you've told me that that nine and seven season with Kyle Orton at quarterback, there were some you that team you all you felt was on the verge of something. Um, so I know that you have a certain level of respect for Doug Marone because you thought you could win with him, but with how things ended and what do you think? Yeah. Um, Should I have not asked you that question? Deals, no, no. Yeah, you're fine. Um, yeah, you're right. I do have a level of respect for him. I mentioned him earlier where he, he, he kind of gave me some lessons on leadership I thought were great. Um, he does have some qualities of a head coach. Probably the most organized coach I've ever been around as far as attention to detail. Some will call it a college-esque um, you know, micromanaging at times, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of riffraff going on either. People were pretty focused on ball around there. So so I did respect uh, Doug in that sense. But when a guy leaves and quits on you like that, it did make me happy that he didn't get that Jets job. And, and I, wish I, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I just wished great success on everybody, and I, I found joy in everybody else having joy. But, um I don't always feel like that, which I think is probably natural. But when a guy quits on you like he did with us and he walked away with so much cash in doing so, um, you know, that, that stung. And when he didn't get that job and he went down to the Jaguars and had to be their O-line coach, and it, it, he thought he was going to take a lateral move in the division and he ended up down there, that made me happy, honestly. And then, um, you know, when he got another opportunity – you know, there's a lot of guys on his staff that I, I'm buddies with, Sperano and Hackett and those guys. I, I really wanted them to do well. Um, I hate that Nate took the axe this year for their offensive struggles. 
do I do I think he's Sean McVay? No. Do I think he should have been fired mid year? No. So, um, long story short, um, it doesn't pain me to see them struggling down there, but it, I'm not investing like my emotional capital anymore into Doug Marone. Um, I, I'm I'm okay with him getting another shot. I, I I loved when McDermott said it looked like they had the most talent on paper of any team they'll play this year. Whether that was a shot at Marone or not, I respected Sean McDermott because that, 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 that is pretty. That's just so uncharacteristic of Sean to do something like that. He plays no games like that. For him to say that, it seemed calculated, and I loved it. And it's almost like, hey, you didn't want to be here. Well, I'm loving being here. And now you got the most talented team in the league. We got the same record, and we're going to beat you. And as tired as you are, I'm sure of seeing Tom Brady have success. The fact that he stepped over Jacksonville uh, with a big coming back late uh, to go into another Super Bowl probably didn't bust you up. No, I was I was honestly rooting pretty hard for New England. I like like I said, man, it, I'm not involved. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be there because now I guess I, I am investing some emotional capital. If you played it, <laughs> but you could at least put it to bed. At least you could put it to bed now. You know, at least in a, at least this is me talking for you, I, and I shouldn't do that. Right. But I can understand. I can empathize that they got that close to the Super Bowl. They should have gone to the Super Bowl, and they didn't. Whether you say they choked it away or Tom Brady and the Patriots just be, do what they do, um, and then the season, the way it's kind of gone. I mean, at least enough. You know, he's I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's just like you can now put yeah. like it, there's been enough. Uh, there's been enough strife, and now that he's getting into a point where people are talking about he, whether or not he should be back, um, at least car- this is where it is for me. As long as karma is being repaid, whether it's positive or negative, I just like to see people get what they deserve. Right, I, I'm with you there. And and one thing I, I wish I knew people down in that. Um, on the team better down in Jacksonville. I would love to hear the dynamic he has with the players down there. They have so much star power that we didn't have at the time in Buffalo. So Doug was able to kind of keep his thumb on us. You know, we, you know, our, our stars were like Mario Williams, but he's so soft, soft spoken. Kyle Williams, he's like me. You know, we're company guys, go with the flow. And they have some serious superstars in that building, um, some rising young guys that. I would just love to know how Doug manages those guys because I can't imagine Jalen Ramsey biting his tongue like a lot of us did when, you know, we were made to wear a shirt and tie home from Miami when we were, like, sweating so bad. You know, just, like, little things that most coaches would be like, hey, you're grown, man, make a decision. If you want to do this, go ahead. Like, none of that flew with Doug, and and it'd be interesting to me if, like, if Coughlin has more influence on him down there and maybe he treats the stars a little different or however it works, uh, it would just be interesting on my end to know. Well, Eric Wood, thanks for coming on. And uh, if you're listening, uh, for those listening out there, catch Eric Wood with a probably major sports network uh, soon, right? Are we getting towards signing with somebody and, and doing some broadcast work? Maybe. Um, yeah, so I, I've done another audition now, and um, I broadcasted the game with Fox, and I don't think I'll be on the sideline at the end of this year. I, I, I was really hoping coming out of the college game that I did that maybe they'd say, hey, there's no buys weeks 14 to 17 in the NFL. Maybe Eric would be interested in being uh, extra on a game just because 
we need extra people, and they do that from time to time. I don't know who Fox will bring up for that. I would imagine um, maybe Brady Quinn or somebody else, Matt Liner, they have him doing some stuff. Maybe one of those guys. But um, we'll see. I- I'm enjoying it for now. It gets me around the game. I get to be a little competitive with it and try and get good at something else. So I'm enjoying it for now. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Uh, you've been great at The Athletic, and uh, the insight that you provide is, has always been pretty unvarnished and i get a sense that the further you get away from the game the more unvarnished it'll be and there were some glimpses of that here today so thanks for uh, coming on eric for sure thanks for having me guys talk to you again soon all right that was eric wood uh, former buffalo bill center multiple time captain Uh, when we come back we're going to talk ub hoops uh, with our jonah bronstein Uh, the ub uh, men and women are both playing great Uh, we're going to have matthew fairburn coming on to talk about the kelvin benjamin move and uh, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. The Bills are favored for the first time all season, finally. Three and a half points uh, over the Jets uh, heading into Sunday's game at New Era Field. This is the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Oh, that's trash, young lady. No, you can't. Hey, stop that, young lady! The charity's on fire! Tim Graham, the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, and on the Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. Sully impression. Derail. I miss Sully on this show. (laughs) Sully's on a different show. You can hear him five times a week. Maybe I do then why would you miss him on this show? Because he was just as absent-minded coming out of commercials. Right. And Mike didn't as feel Mike Rodak. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Mike Rodak, during commercials, listening to officials and umpires berate and drop F-bombs, and he's listening to it with the sound on. Yeah. All the way up. Right next to his microphone as we're coming back from break. We had 30 right. seconds. And No, we didn't. When I, I said when I said mute that, we were on the air. No, we weren't. When I say 30. Were we on the air? We were right. My, your mic was about to go on. Yeah, about to go on. <laughs> well, that's a lot on? different than thirty seconds. Because I trust. Bobby. We were out of commercial. We were coming back. Bobby's got some yeah, fast I fingers. T- I usually don't turn Mike's mic on right away. For that I only, reason, because you're incompetent. You. Right. <laughs> Better than being impotent. You're neither. You can be both. You you're, could. You're neither. Yeah. You're not important. That's for sure. Am I important though? If I'm not important, am I important? Dude. <laughs> Bobby, is Mike Rodak the funniest guy who's ever been on a microphone in this studio? In this studio? I... Or even in this whole building? Oh. I mean, be... there have been professional comics in I here, know. but I'd have to say that and Mike Shred. Rodak's right up there. Yeah. yeah, I'd say so. I mean, James does helium. Yeah, Jim Curdsy. <laughs> you could probably do it. Imagine if I did helium. <laughs> I can barely do Elmo's. Jonah Bronstein, some cool things happening with the University at Buffalo basketball programs. I know you've been following them both. Um, Where do we think the UB hoops team can go? Let's talk about the men first. Going for their eighth straight win tonight against LeMoyne. Four weeks in a row, they've climbed in the AP rankings. They're up to number 17 now. Best start since 1930. You had a great tweet about that, though. Well, yeah, I've done this before with some other teams, but 1930, you're talking about the game was played in cages. 
uh, they're real peach baskets. So after was every time, like cockfighting. Well, no, that's how they used to play basketball, like to protect the, <laughs> the players from the rowdy spectators, and that's why they're called cagers sometimes in kind of old timey lingo. Right. But played in peach with peach baskets. So after somebody scored, you had to get on a ladder, get the ball out, and jump center again. They're, I think that was the first year any African American player played for any college, probably not UB or any of the teams they played against. And if you look at it, they're beating like I don't know U of R. Colgate and I, I looked this stat up a few years ago with Niagara in a similar area and they're playing the Lockport YMCA and local farm <laughs> teams right. literally teams from the farm so yes I think at some point they used to play high school teams back then too and that would count I like, think you it was see just, that in the record sometimes yeah, I think it was just like a men's league and they played and, whoever they could get against right so yeah there should be a point where we delineate what was real college basketball or, or winning this many games starting 8-0 in 2018 is a lot different than starting 8-0 yeah. in 1930. The, what we saw in the movie Hoosiers would be an advanced brand of basketball compared to what <laughs> was happening in 1930. Right, a completely different game. And the game hadn't really matured yet yeah. in 1930. There, there, was, there were professional outfits, but the NBA was still 20 yeah. years away and it really wasn't what we know of. And not even comparing also the Hoosiers era to this era, there's a lot different, but at least they were playing the same game right how far can UB men uh, take this it's 17 in the country right now and uh, a sneaky quality win as you were talking about over San Francisco right. in the uh, tournament best that win they were right just now. in in Ireland because that was a game that um, on the schedule you did but they were when you when the schedule came out you wouldn't look at San Francisco as a potential big win but but they were undefeated they had the number two scoring defense in the country they hadn't beaten Great teams, but they had played some good teams. It'll a lot of this is volatile now with who's rated where and what, what's a good win and what's not a good win. But looking at it, that San Francisco win might hold up, as well as they've already beaten West Virginia and they got games coming up in two weeks against Syracuse and Marquette. That's really the the crux of this early season for UB. If they can split those games plus the win at West Virginia, I think they stay nationally ranked going into conference play with a chance to remain in the top twenty five for the rest of the season. Unless they go on a you know a losing streak within the conference, they can lose a game or two, but not a lot. And getting there, I think they probably do win these games. It would be an upset if they. It would be a huge upset if they lose at home tonight to Lemoyne, who's a Division two program, who's been good in past years, but is a little bit young and rebuilding right now. And that shouldn't affect your ranking anyway. I mean, if they lose, they well, would. But yes. if they win, it does not. Right. They won't get penalized. I think for oh, you only beat Lemoyne last week. And other teams are losing. What's really, The reason UB keeps moving up is because they're still undefeated and other teams lose, and they have a win against West Virginia. That win against Arizona shouldn't really count to where you're ranked right now, but it does. People are saying they're good enough to beat these teams. And then they play St. Bonaventure on Saturday, which could be a tricky game. St. Bonaventure's tough, especially at home. It's at, the, it's at the Riley Center. Right. It's a little bit of a rivalry, but UB is a lot better than St. Bonaventure this year. St. Bonaventure's young and rebuilding, a little bit injured. They did get their best player, Courtney Stockard, back. But that's a game that UB wins if they play well. If they go up there and they play, go down there and they play poorly, of course they could lose. And they got another tough game then a week from that, Southern Illinois, who they've already beaten at Southern Illinois, should beat them at home. But that's a good team. And, and But this UB team really hasn't been playing to its ceiling, I don't think, especially with shooting the ball and, and from a lot of their players. And so they've been able to win games without playing their best basketball on most of these nights. And I think they should be able to do that at least three more times to get to these Syracuse and Marquette games that will really not define the season but define where they're going to be ranked, I think, for the rest of the season. I was just going to ask you, if you were on the NCAA 
tournament committee in 1906, which I'm sure didn't exist, but would you count the uh, the UB Bulls 84 to 13 loss loss to the Dunkirk YMCA as a bad loss? <laughs> yeah, that's a bad loss. You can't lose the Dunkirk. And, you know, you can't you can't lose the Dunkirk and make points. the NIT. I mean, where do you the think, game, but get some where do you think the Dunkirk YMCA was in the RPI? But here's the thing: I think one of those peach baskets was up at 11 feet, and the other one was nailed up at 10 feet. Rodak surprised well, us. Rodak surprised us with something I, actually yeah. borderline they, humorous. Right. They, they did win one game that year. It was a 33 to 12 win over Tonawanda High School. So <laughs> well, and it's just ridiculous. It's like if you count uh, the Buffalo Bills are six and zero for the first time since Wild Buffalo Bill shot six duck on the hunting mission. Like it's like it's not the same thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> so and the women, they have some things going for them. The Sierra Dillard are, leading the country in scoring, right? Doing just as well. They're six and one. They lose to the number three team in the country at that point, Oregon. They won more games and went further in the tournament than the Buffalo men last year. I thought they would be ranked to start the year. They got some votes. They were maybe, I think, like 28th, 29th, if you stretch it out like that. They're not quite that high now. I think they probably should be. Uh, Felicia Leggett-Jack seems to think they should be, especially they, where they ended the season ranked and going to the Sweet 16, obviously, that sort of extrapolates to being a top 16 team, maybe. And they have they lost some players, but they have most of their good players back, and I think they can keep winning. They got some games coming up. I'd have to look it up. They, well, they got Stanford at home in about a week and a half. That's another top 10 team. They they can win that game. I think they get into the rankings. And similar to Buffalo, if you're a mid-American conference team and you enter conference play in the top 25, if you take care of business and win most of those games, which they should, you really don't get penalized for playing. You will in a, something like the RPI, but you won't get penalized by the voters to where they take you out of the top 25 because you're only beating Toledo and Akron and Kent State and those teams. And UB women last night just destroying Canisius uh, at Canisius. Um, not that that's a road game, a true road game. You're at least staying in and western New York. But. Canisius is way down. But they have good wins. They beat South Dakota State. They beat Georgetown out in Las Vegas. In that Oregon game, they lost by 20, but Oregon's – was number three in the country, probably. And I'd, I'd at Oregon, I'm guessing that the the UB women, even though they have some experience playing in some big arenas, having made it to the Sweet 16 last year, going out there to Eugene to play in that Nike fortress that exists out there had to be uh, an adjustment. You know, right. you got to be overwhelmed going out there playing the number three team in the country and maybe the best facilities in the country. And UB is playing this early part of the season without maybe its second or third best player, Summer Hemphill. A forward went to Cardinal O'Hara, was very key player for them starting last year and going to the tournament, and she's ineligible, I think, for the first maybe nine games till this first semester ends. So, yeah, I don't think a team like Buffalo can go out there and beat Oregon without all their best players. Although I will say this, just to sidetrack slightly, Niagara beat Pitt the other night. Now, Pitt's a little down, and they did it without their best player, Marvin Prochet, who's missed three games with an injury. He's their leading scorer and their leading rebounder. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, sometimes you can't use that as an excuse. I will say that a uh, loyal listener who listens uh, via the 1270 app has let us know that he did clearly hear me say, mute that, please, to Mike Rodak as he was listening to profanity-laced videos. But I would like to know, could he hear those profanity-laced videos? Doesn't matter. That's all that matters. No, that is not all that matters. The FCC doesn't care if you're trying to mute me. Cares if... You can hear the F-bombs that the NHL ref is, is yelling in the video. No. <laughs> it, what happens is, is that no. your, your, your 
playing with fire here. And when I ask you to mute something, as you're sitting there with this goofy smile on your face, I'm not even sure if one of is your there... hands isn't down your pants <laughs> as you're watching these videos. How is and that I different say, from and any you're other just break? Like, oh, 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 oh. And I'm like, hey, would you at least mute that, please, if you're going to sit there and watch it? It's like any other show. Here's something else. All right, the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. When we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk. We're going to have Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic on to talk about uh, the inside uh, scoop on what happened with the Bills and their decision to dump Kelvin Benjamin with four games left in the season. And uh, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about the Bills being favored for the first time all season. Uh, maybe we'll have another uh, surprise or two. I don't know. I always have something. I always have things working. Sometimes they don't happen until the show uh, is already started. I, I get a confirmation or a, a promise. Uh, I'm th- can I make one quick point? I, just, I thought about what you asked. How, where's the ceiling for this UB team? The last time a local Buffalo basketball team was ranked, St. Bonaventure in 1978. 78? 1970. They went to 1970. The, they went to the Final Four and could have won the national championship if Bob Lanier doesn't get hurt. Now, a lot has changed, and this UB team might not have a Bob Lanier, but that's the ceiling. I think that's a realistic ceiling. They even they've talked. Nate Oates has talked about that at UB. They think there's no reason if Loyola Chicago went last year that they can't be the team that does that this year. All right, more uh, basketball talk too when we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Ah! Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, and on The Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I'm just like out of my gourd, and I'm all hopped up on NyQuil and Tim Hortons coffee. So uh, let's see what kind of silliness we can get into. Sports writer Tim Graham. Thanks for calling in to congratulate yourself on a well-deserved victory. But if you keep talking this way... They'll take you away to the funny farm. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. There's some. What do we got here, Bob? What is this? A little Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne. No words. Though. Got some funk. <laughs> some funky. You guys ever watch Tales from the Tour Bus, the Mike Judge uh, show that's on Cinemax? No, I've never watched Cinemax it in my life. Is awesome. Tales it's, from the Tour Bus. Yes, and it's interviews with. Well, last season was country. And it was all these guys, these old, grizzled yeah. country stars. Now, Waylon Jennings, it's all the drugs that they do on the road. Yeah. Somebody's got a gun, and they're at a party, and somebody gets shot. Um, all the different, you know, darkness. And it's, yeah. they're talking to the crew, mostly. People in the ba- the, the, the drummer, the bassist, the yeah. people whose names you don't know unless you're really into it. Mm-mm. Talking about their time on the road. And um, so this year's funk. And so Ooh. there's two parts on Rick James. Oh, which is wow. awesome. I watched that uh, just a couple of nights ago. There's yeah. one on Bootsy Collins, um, George Clinton, and uh, there's God. two parts coming up. The Only the first part's been out so far on um, James Brown. 
Ooh. It's animated. What they do is they take the interviews and then animate them so that way they can then re. Like, it's good. It's good. Story. It's a realistic type animation. It was like, um, shoot, I, I'm not up on. There was a movie that came out a few years ago in which it's re, it's a realistic version. It's done through computer, but it's animated. But then what they can do is when that person is telling a story, they then animate the story oh, so they play it out. Got it. So that way you could see. You know, because there's not footage and stuff. Exactly, obviously. exactly, Ooh. and it's really well done. That sounds. Uh, Mike Judge, people who know Mike Judge, it's uh, Beavis and Butthead, but also Office Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done. Um, uh, yeah, well, Office Space is the is the move is the main movie, but he's done some others. King of the Hill too, right? Yeah, right. King yeah. of the Hill, yes. Um, but anyway, I you know what we watched watched the other night was um, the Year Without a Christmas, which was in stop motion. We had like the little clay figures right? and they move yeah. and they talk. It's really cool. Well, haven't you ever I seen found Rudolph? It very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that the same thing? Or is this different? The I, California I Raisins? I despise those. <laughs> the California Raisins. I thought yeah, it was a, a good movie and I've <laughs> never seen it. First time seeing it, Mike? Anthony Johnson from Buffalo has officially accepted his invitation to the 70th Reese's Senior Bowl according to the Reese's Senior Bowl Twitter account right now. Ooh, didn't that used to be that? Doug Whaley's uh, gig? Uh, no, that was, he was the NFL PA Bowl. Oh, that used to be Phil Savage, worse. and now it is Jim Nagy, who used to be a, a scout for the Patriots and the Chiefs. Neat. The things you know. Tell us about these odds on uh, the next coach fired, Mike Rodak, without just listing them off. Like, what's the well, upshot? I mean, if you, remember back, made the list. if you remember back towards the beginning of the year when they were 0-2 maybe? And who I puts these out? This particular one is Bovada. Um, but I think there was one earlier in the year from a different book that had McDermott as the most likely coach to be fired. And Which is silly because you have to know the dynamic. He's not getting fired. Right. I think it's people in Vegas or offshore who are just you know looking at it's records. It's easy money and, for the book because, yeah, you take it. Anybody who bets on it, the, the house is going to keep that money. So McDermott has popped up on Bovada. I don't know if they've done this every week. I can't find it on their previous emails each week. They send one out. They do it periodically. Um, but he comes up as 15-1 as the longest odds among the nine coaches that they list. The, the shortest odds are John Harbaugh. And as we speak, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting that Kelvin Benjamin went unclaimed Ooh. on waivers. He is now a free agent and, according to Adam Schefter, not expected to be free very long. Mm, well, I mean, not to disparage your teammate, but that happens sometimes. Yeah. You know, just li- Adam Schefter also tweeted out that Russ Brandon wasn't going to be unemployed for long also. But interesting that the Denver Broncos – And quickly tweeted, uh, deleted that tweet. Yes. Well, the Denver Broncos, who are in need of a wide receiver after Emmanuel Sanders reportedly uh, tore his Achilles today, they claimed Andre Holmes before they did Kelvin Benjamin, which is – Quite interesting. However, his contract might have something to do with that. And special teams. Speaking on betting, this is fun. Let's talk about this. Uh, We have, what, three minutes left in this segment? Yes. Bovada also has odds on who will have more. Here's a prop bet for you. Who will have more rushing yards this week, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? Josh Allen is a plus-130 favorite, so... Uh, bet ten dollars to win thirteen. Lamar Jackson minus one seventy, which is uh, uh, bet ten to win seventeen. Um, so obviously, uh, everybody knows that Josh Allen's not going to be running for a hundred yards every week. But right. here's, here's the total: the over/under on rushing yards for Josh Allen in Week fourteen thirty-eight and a half. 
that to me is pretty intriguing because I would like to say he goes over. But the Jets also gave up plenty of rushing yards to LaShawn McCoy the last time these two teams played. So maybe the thinking being is that LaShawn McCoy is just going to get all those yards. That's tricky. What yeah. would you guys do? Well, if would you, you really bet over or under? Quarterback, you can you can keep a quarterback from getting yards. You give up a lot of other things, but that's what the Dolphins tried. Kiko Alonso couldn't stop him. True. <laughs> but uh, what do you do? Over under thirty eight and a half. Mm. See, I, I believe what, I like the over because I think he all he has to do is get loose on one or two. Thirty eight yes. and a half yards rushing for Allen. Yeah, take that. Take the over. But I, I would agree with what Lashawn McCoy said after the game on Sunday, which is. Well, A, he said he's a big, stiff white boy. Nobody expected him to run. B, he said because of that, teams are now catching on to him and they're going to adjust their defenses. So I, I would guess that there's going to be some some level of, of, of chess that will go on with Todd Bowles and Josh Allen where he's not going to have the same lanes to run or there'll be a spy, et cetera. Um, but then that might open something up in terms of of the deep ball in a deep game. So, are you we'll saying see. this is the big? This is the week you should start Ray Ray McLeod on your fantasy team? No, no. How will the loss of Kelvin Benjamin affect fantasy? What do you think? Will it affect anything? I think if I was a fantasy player interested in Bills players, which you'd have to be in a deep league for that to be true, like a sixteen team league. With, Let's you know, say you're in the playoffs this right. week. At the the league has been picked over. I would take a and swing. you have Emmanuel Sanders who tore his Achilles today, mm-hmm. and you need to pick somebody up. Well, I, I don't know how many leagues have Zay Jones hanging around, but I think that's far and away the guy you look for. I mean, that connection really came together on Sunday, and when you score tutties like he did, that's going to score you some points. Otherwise, you're, you're taking a, a flyer on Robert Foster, hoping that Josh Allen can hit a deep ball as Foster did. Twice, really, against the Jets from Matt Barkley. After that, I mean, I don't think you're looking at Deontay Thompson. One catch in two games. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, yeah, he scored a touchdown against the Jaguars, but that's spotty as well. I mean, Ray Ray McLeod's been inactive for a while now, so you're not you're not doing much with I just, this group. We're going to have uh, Matthew Fairburn on here in a few minutes. and uh, But before that, I just want to make a point before we go to commercial regarding, I guess, Kelvin Benjamin or any other receiver, or really the entire NFL. Uh, people have been talking about Zay Jones being the Bills' number one receiver. First off, it's a misnomer. The, the number one receiver isn't the guy who has the most catches or yards on your team. Wes Welker was never a number one receiver. Wes Welker... He was the NFL's leader in receptions for however many years, 100 after 100 after 100. He was not a number one receiver. Adam Thielen is not a number one receiver. The number one receiver is a role. It is not the statistical best player on your team. Number one receiver is what Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be. It's what Randy Moss was. It was what Braylon Edwards was. I mean, there are Julio just be- Jones, AJ Green. Well, you're going through the elites too, but every team. Right. Let's like let's even dial it back. Okay. Uh, and what would be uh, Kelvin Johnson? Quincy Anunwa was the number one with the Jets. You know, right. yeah. What'd you who'd you say, Bobby? <laughs> just Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. Oh yeah, he was okay. 
Generally, but, somebody who's taller, probably their yes. most talented physically, who can attract the attention of the team, yeah. the opponent's top it's, corner. It's the guy who generally the field. stretches the field. Matt Williamson, formerly of ESPN, he's uh, does does a lot of podcasting and stuff. Uh, great uh, former scout, uh, great uh, guy to talk with, and we'll need to have him on the show. He and I used to have this discussion when we were both at ESPN. Is he agrees with that sentiment? And on top of that, there are probably only about 12 to 15 true number one receivers in the NFL. Mm. It's not as though every team has a number one receiver. Just because you th- – so anyway, yeah. so stop – please, everybody, stop saying about Zay Jones being the number one receiver. He doesn't play that role. He's a number two receiver probably. Um, but anyway, just because – just don't – don't don't uh, sound so ignorant as to talk about number one receivers and that Zay Jones is now it. He is not it. Never will be it. All right. Got that Glad sound. we got that out of the way. <laughs> the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is right cheer on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. It's Tim Graham, the Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, the fan, the Tim Graham Show, taking your calls at 270-1270 on Sports Radio 1270, the fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Long, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host, the big crooked Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Jonah Bronstein Enterprises, LLC. I don't know, I'm guessing. Oh, those are. I have I a feeling I you have the LLC. Trade. I doubt. Yeah, I, I, I know you too well. I should. I should assume that you have not. You have not filed any paperwork. No, no. To imde- indemnify yes. yourself. It's, in fact, sometimes <laughs> I don't even file my paperwork to get paid. I just do the work. And <laughs> just forget about it. <laughs> Jonah handles the uh, video here. You can uh, catch the Tim Graham show on Periscope right now. You can see a video stream of it. Uh, we've tweeted it out. Uh, you can uh, check that out later if you wish. If you want to see Mike clean his Mike Rodak screen. and all his uh, distracted wonder. No, just looking at the senior bowl rosters. Anthony Johnson, the only UB player so far who has accepted an invite. He'll play his next two games I was in say, Mobile, Alabama. Lad Peeble Stadium. And that's where UB's playing its bowl game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs for us. Uh, he is uh, the producer. He brings everything together. Intros, outros, the music, the guests, the phone calls. Already we've had Eric Wood on mm-hmm. and a uh, whew, some interesting things he said about uh, Doug Marone, his feelings on yeah. Doug Marone. He didn't hold back. Uh, you know, these are the types of things I didn't quite know what Eric Wood would say. I know that Eric has always talked about 
how much he regretted that that nine and seven team in, in 2014 did not stay together. That was the year Kyle Orton was the quarterback and uh, Doug Marone's final year. So Kyle, he loved Kyle Orton. I'm talking about Eric Wood. And so he's always talking about how good that team was. And so I knew that he had a level of, of respect for, for Doug Marone and, but we got into the quitting aspect of it and the fact that uh, there's been some um, – what's what's the German word? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Superfood. 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 It was funny. That 2014 – The great Judy Bloom book. That 2014 team was, in terms of running their, – their weakness on that team was probably their running game. Fred Jackson and C.J. Spiller, it was the end of the road for them, even though a couple years earlier they were great. You go back to 2011, 2012, those teams, they, I mean, that was a great running back duo. That was the weakness of their team. And well, I would, the run blocking. They had right. very their poor guards, line was, I don't remember who they were. But. Well, it was Chris Williams, who Doug Whaley went out and signed a four-year deal. He was awful. They had Cyril Richardson in there, the fifth-round uh, rookie that year. Um and I that affected Wood. I think Wood had one yeah. of his worst seasons that year because mm-hmm. the guys around him weren't. But their running game was bad, and I, I think there's some similarities to, to this team in terms of where this backfield is and, and where it's going to be headed in the future. But I think we have Matthew Fairburn on the phone to provide his uh, keen insight. That's right, Mike, and uh, that was one of the greatest transitions I've ever heard. <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish your thought. I was going to bring in Matt. We're going to talk about uh, Matt had a great uh, article last night uh, posted on theathletic.com uh, regarding Kelvin Benjamin's departure from the Bills. And I think a lot of people look at it and say, good riddance, you suck, you're lazy, we hate you. You're fat. Uh, you're fat, which I think is not true. And I know that Booger McFarland made the joke about how he was one biscuit away from being a tight end. And then Kelvin Benjamin made it a point to be seen walking with his shirt off uh, a couple of days later at the facility. And he, he was pretty cut. I mean, you could count every ab muscle. Um, there was Twitter jokes, whatever you want to call it last night that flags were at half staff at McDonald's for Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah, I saw, I saw an IHOP version of that joke. Um, but anyway, Matt Fairburn of The Athletic, he's on here uh, with us now. He covers the Bills for us. And, uh, Matt, you took us inside the decision for uh, the Bills to get rid of Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, your thoughts, let's just start uh, with uh, broad strokes. What were your thoughts when the release came out that the Bills had made this decision with four games left in the season? You know, I thought it was a little bit unfortunate for all sides involved just because this is a guy that, was supposed to be the missing piece a year ago when they traded for him. And a lot of people were pretty fired up about it, both fans and media thinking that was the move they needed to get them over the edge. They were five and two. Brandon Bean was taking a chance, something a lot of people wanted him to do, especially in the locker room. Mind you, you know, he had traded a lot of players away and he brought one in a guy that was supposed to help Tyrod Taylor and all that. And here we are 13 months later and, He's getting cut before the end of his contract, which is, you know, in some ways a a pretty stark admission that it, it didn't work out. But I think it's it was a little bit more complicated, I guess, than just this guy's fat, he's lazy, and the Bills should have known better because there was a lot, I guess, that kind of went into it, um, you know, out of his control and within his control that 
that made it just not work out here. And part of that is the contract, and people could look at it and say uh, that it's validating the the Bills' uh, decision to cut him, that uh, nobody picked him up on waivers. But what about the contract situation? Yeah, you know, I, I think the the contract was making it difficult for them to trade him. Number one, and I think when you that was everybody else's complaint is that they should have gotten rid of this guy sooner, should have gotten rid of him at the deadline. But you know, that's a contract that people didn't want, especially after now two knee surgeries, one on each knee, and you know, at eight point five million, you know, that was a cap hit that a lot of teams weren't willing to take on. Maybe you know. Um, you know, in the off season, if he signs a cheaper deal, he'll be more, you know, worthwhile. But this is also a guy that, you know, you're not getting a compensatory pick for Kelvin Benjamin because that would require somebody opening up their checkbook for him. Number one. And number two, it would require the bills, you know, losing more players than they gain. And with 90 million in cap space, you're not doing that. So, I mean, they, they took a calculated risk when they traded for him. They had the extra year of control. And the extra year of control ended up costing them the ability to move them because, you know, the, the price tag was just too high. We're in conversation with Matthew Fairburn. He's the Bills reporter for The Athletic. And um, Adam Schefter of ESPN reporting uh, that uh, Kelvin Benjamin will not remain unemployed for long. Let's hope that uh, Adam uh, is more accurate on this one than he was on the Russ Brandon uh, sentiment that was similar. Is he going uh, to the Athletic? Is yeah, <laughs> Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, why I joined the Athletic uh, column is coming soon. Uh, Matthew, uh, what does he have left? What do you think he can offer a team? I don't think he has what he did when he came into the league, and I think that's probably the biggest problem uh, that maybe people weren't realizing is that you know you and I talked about the fact that a lot of people look at these routes that he runs and, and call him, you know, lazy. And sometimes that might be true. The body language isn't good and it's hard to say one way or the other, but surgeries on both knees. I mean, there are people that think he's just done. He's shot and he's not a number one. And he wasn't known for being an explosive player with a lot of burst when he came out of college, two knee surgeries, isn't going to help that. So I think for him to latch on and survive in this league, he has to find a team that's willing to play him in more of a specialty role, maybe make him almost a de facto tight end, playing him in the slot and using him in red zone packages. I just don't know. The knees, he just has no explosiveness left in the knees, and you can't be a number one receiver if you can't get open and get separation. And then, you know, you combine that with the fact that he was pressing a great deal this year because he was in a contract year, and I think it just was a perfect storm for him to have a bad year can he bounce back and, and maybe catch some of those those passes that slip through his hands and get a few more touchdowns? Maybe, but I think he's going to need a team that's willing to you know be patient with him and use him only in certain situations. And that's why, again, there wasn't a ton of interest at the deadline because you're not going to pay that type of money and pay the price that it would have cost, you know, give up a draft pick just to have a guy that's almost a gadget player at this point. Yeah, maybe you can find him in uh, a role like Justin Hunter when the Bills picked him up, and it was a desperation situation, I guess, uh, for him. He was done with the Tennessee Titans, but then Justin Hunter shows up, and uh, four of his ten catches in the uh, 12 games that he played for the Bills, he, he only caught uh, 10, 10 balls, but four of them were for touchdowns. Tons. Right, and Justin Hunter actually just got hurt 
in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So that's a team that, you know, you're looking for teams that are in the playoff race and need that one guy that can give them an added dimension in the red zone. Pittsburgh, you know, maybe New England, if, if they feel like needle in the bills, maybe have Kelvin Benjamin couple catch a couple touchdowns in Foxborough in a couple weeks. I mean, you want a team that already has a passing offense in place that, you know, they just need one extra piece, one, one other guy for defenses to worry about when they get down in the red zone because it's tough to score down there. And Kelvin Benjamin in the past has been really good down there. He wasn't all that great for the Bills, but, you know, I think, you know, some of that was just because of drops. And if those go his way, uh, maybe we're talking about a, a different ending to the Kelvin Benjamin story. No, I was just going to say that he's, he's going to be 28 next year. So that's by no means young for an NFL player. I think the same would apply to Sammy Watkins, who has been more productive the last couple of years. But Watkins with his foot injuries and all the other stuff that he's had, Benjamin with his knee injuries. I mean, that 2014 draft class was great, but those two guys could be heading south a lot quicker than, than some of their counterparts. I don't have a question. That was just my statement, Tim. Nice. Well, that's fine. I mean, we're used to this. Yeah. I'm the human speed. Matt, do you just want to speak on that? Uh, since Mike doesn't have a question, it's almost like he's just leaving it there for you to speak about. Speak about it. Yeah, he should tell me to talk about it. Yeah, talk um, about that. I, you know what? To to that point, though, Kelvin Benjamin is not, you know, he's not a, a fat man, like a lot of people want to say that he is, but he's not white either. I mean, he's a big dude, and, you know, two knee surgeries for a guy that big that'll wear on you. And all of a sudden that makes a 28 year old receiver. I think it adds a couple of, couple of years to him just because he's, you know, been through quite a bit physically and you can just see how he moves around. I mean, a lot of times on the practice field, he was laboring and, and that was in training camp and extended all the way in. And, and let's also not forget the guy had six quarterbacks and two coordinators in 13 months in Buffalo, not exactly a recipe for success for a wide receiver. We're in conversation with Buffalo Bills reporter for The Athletic, Matthew Fairburn. Uh, Bovada came out with some uh, prop bets today regarding Josh Allen and his ability to run a little bit. And the one that I wanted to ask you about, Matt, uh, over under 38.5 rushing yards for Josh Allen on Sunday against the Jets. You taking the over or the under? I would take the over on that one. I think the Jets do have some athletic guys that maybe can keep him in check, but I see no reason to think that, that Josh Allen's going to cool off in that regard anytime soon. This Jets defense allowed 41 points to the Bills a few weeks ago, and they're kind of reeling at the moment. I'm waiting. You know, we, we talked about this last week. I'm waiting for the defensive coordinator that decides to blitz Josh Allen and, you know, press these receivers and then see what Josh Allen does, but defenses are starting to respect his arm enough that they're sitting back and, you know, those rushing lanes are going to open up. You can't, that's the thing. It's easy to, to say, all you got to do is, you know, bring pressure, but he's starting to hurt teams with his arm. And he did that a lot last week. And I think that alone means that if it's his second or third read to tuck it and run, he's going to take it and he's going to get a lot of yards. He's not easy to tackle. He's pretty, I think he's a good runner in the sense that, he may not be super fast or super quick, but he knows how to run. He understands, you know, angles that, that guys are taking to him. He understands leverage. And um, you saw him spin Kiko Alonso into the into the turf last week in, in Miami. I mean, he, he's got some moves. So I'll take the over on that 10 times out of 10. They've 
clear the decks to some extent at wide receiver. I mean, Zay Jones, we all know, will be here next year. I would assume that Robert Foster and, and Isaiah McKenzie, Ray Ray McLeod will all be competing for spots, as they like to say. But what do they need at that position? What free agents out there? What guys in the draft? What Where could they add to that position that now that they're gone, you know, Benjamin and Holmes, what do they lack at that spot? I think Tyrell Williams out, you know, with the Chargers right now would be a really, really good fit because he, you know, was sitting down with Joe Licata yesterday, uh, the former more talented mm-hmm. co-host of the Tim Graham show. I acknowledge um, that. And we, we, were, we do miss him. <laughs> we were talking about how Josh Allen's bread and butter is that deep over route that you saw him hit to Isaiah McKenzie at the end of the first half, the touchdown to Robert Foster, the 75-yarder two weeks ago was another example of that. And Matt Weiser was actually sitting there because they had a, a game last night, and he was saying in, in L.A. that was all Tyrell Williams ran. That was his bread and butter. And the alarm bell went off in my head because that guy's going to be a free agent. And, you know, money talks, and I think you bring him in, open up your checkbook, show him some film of Josh Allen throwing that route, and I think you've got a match there. I think you can sell him on that. I know Devin Funchess is a name that's popped up. It's possible, but I think... Again, that's that's a guy that gives you some of what you wanted Kelvin Benjamin to give you, and I don't know if that's exactly what, what fits with Josh Allen. I think you need a guy with some speed that's a bit more seasoned than maybe Isaiah McKenzie and Robert Foster are. And then in the draft, that's where, you're, that's where you find your number one receiver. I mean, I don't think you're going to find a number one in free agency all that often. I know they hit free agency once in a while, but you know, there's guys like Nikhil Harry from – Arizona State that's a, a big bigger body that you know you can you'd rather spend a draft pick than open up your checkbook on Devin Funches who's never really been a number one anyways get a cheaper guy um, there's guys in this draft Hollywood Brown the kid from Oklahoma Antonio Brown's cousin he's another guy with speed I mean the NFL is all about speed right now and when you have a, a quarterback with an arm I mean that throw to Robert Foster last week that fell incomplete that was like 70 yards in the air almost. I mean, defenses respect that. They respect it even more when you've got speed guys that can stretch the field. So those are the types I would be looking for. Yeah, sure, you need a bigger a bigger guy maybe to be a possession guy for you, but, you know, the Chiefs get by just fine with a bunch of burners, and I think that's what the Bills' aim should be in the offseason. And Matt Weiser would know Tyro Williams pretty closely, too. He was in camp the former UB tight end uh, with the Chargers the last two summers and had an up-close look at, at what they're doing out there. Right, yeah, and he, that's why he had that perspective. He mentioned that Keenan Allen was kind of their possession guy who could clean up underneath. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying Zay Jones is Keenan Allen, but, you know, he can give you some of that. And he said that deep over route, which is not just Josh Allen's bread and butter, it's a big route in the NFL. I mean, you're trying to run those deep crossers to – you know, get in front of the safeties. And, you know, if that's Tyrell Williams' bread and butter, I'm willing to take Matt Weiser's word for it. He knows that playbook. He he spent time with him, like you said. And if that's his bread and butter, it seems like it would be a really good match just because uh, of the way Josh Allen plays. And obviously you have to talk all these guys into it, right? I mean, Indianapolis has money too, and so yes. does New York. And, um, you know, a lot of teams that, you know, I'd rather play for Andrew Luck in a dome than – you know, Josh Allen in Buffalo, that's just the reality of it if I'm a wide receiver. But I think that's what makes this game interesting and these final four games interesting is 
how does he stack up with Sam Darnold? I can't sit here and say that if I'm a receiver, I'd rather play for Sam Darnold right now. It's, I think that's up in the air and, and very much uh, a toss-up, whereas at the beginning of the year, uh, a lot of people were probably saying, obviously, you'd want to play for Sam Darnold. So I think Josh Allen is slowly changing that conversation. Fantastic insight, Matthew Fairburn. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right. Much love. See you soon. That's Matthew Fairburn, Bills reporter for The Athletic. You can see his work at theathletic.com. Uh, follow him on Twitter at, uh, at Matthew Fairburn. Just that simple. How about that? I could not get at Tim Graham. There's some guy in Australia who has that. Uh, what's the? Is that a new report there on the no. re, on the official? No, that was who, just this afternoon, or really this morning, when the NFL Referees Association came out with a statement saying that uh, they expect the umpire who was confronted by Jerry Hughes, Roy Ellison, to be cleared of the accusation from Hughes that he called him a bitch during the game, uh, which the NFL seems to have corroborated at least to an extent by putting him on administrative leave. Uh, But they also said there will be video that will show that Jerry Hughes was verbally abusive towards the officials during that game. And when I asked for clarification from the NFL RA today, I I asked, was it the video after the game where he was verbally abusive and threatening, in their words, to Roy Ellison, or was it something during the game? And they said they fully expect there to be video from the game that shows or was it after what, the name again Roy Ellison Ellison is it after Ellison called him a bitch to begin with I mean there's all I kinds don't know. of yeah. it, we'll have to see but so, that's that's their contention here's my thing and it's something that I've always had a problem with with major league umpires who I've viewed as instigators a lot of times and uh or being confrontational to pro- you know, provoke um I'd like to see uh, umpires referees, officials of any kind be held to the higher standard. The players, sometimes you just have to absorb some of it. Right. Uh, and uh, even if Jerry Hughes was saying things like that, it, the official has to maintain a certain level of decorum uh, and professionalism. So it's, like us. it's like police work. Right. You know, good police work diffuses a lot of uh, these It's situations. a big story in Buffalo right, right. now, right? The Erie County uh, uh, sure. officer who uh, arrested a guy just because he – uh, dropped a couple f bombs on him, and so yeah, the, and there was a comment in that Buffalo news story that you know good police work does the opposite of this, and I think not to say this guy's a bad ref, but you know the refs have to take not abuse but a little bit of that heat from players and fans that they're not in a position to give it back. It's not a two way street. It, it's part of the job. Agreed. Well, it's like us on Twitter when fans attack you on Twitter, like during the game on Sunday when somebody said to me, you are a bleep head, Rodak. I want to give you thousands of little paper cuts and pour orange juice all over you. Watch you scream like a little bitch. I, I had to be better than that. I, I, I couldn't respond to that. I couldn't engage with that person. I just had to let it go. Oh my God. And I think Roy Ellison should have let it go. Clearly let <laughs> it go, do. reading it three days later on the radio. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I right. take that. The Tim Grab Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay. Maybe you should hire him, Mike. Uh, file a lawsuit uh, because uh, they are your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Well, So you were personally injured on this. If you feel like you need to... File suit against this mean this meanie on Twitter. Can I file suit against you for punching me for uh, mouth noises over the weekend? You know the score. You know what it is. You it know is. that if you make these noises that aggravate me and you do it on purpose, 
that, uh, yes, that is an assault. It's an assault to my ears. My if wife... you file charges, then I guess I'll have to, yeah. I'll have to stand up to uh, wh- the, whatever reckoning comes my way. My wife wanted to know where the bruises came from, and I said they came from you. And she asked why, and I said it's because I was making mouth noises. And she said, well, why are you doing that? See? I She's said, on my side. What side are you on? Yeah, she knows. What do they look like? Does your leg look like? No, it wasn't my leg. It's, it's, my, it's my chest. This was... In Matthew Fairburn's suite, presidential suite at the, the Renaissance in Plantation, Florida, where Tim was abusing me. <laughs> Call the Broward County Sheriffs. You should. And I'd explain to them, and they'd say, they say, they say why were you doing that, yeah, Mr. Well, Rodak? All right, the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummington Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285 9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is right cheer. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Well... Mentioning how number one receiver and what the number one receiver really means, but Buffalo News is all in on Zay Jones as a number one receiver. Well, I I actually disagree with you a little bit, although I think I know where you're coming from. Your leading receiver is not your number one receiver. Well, but I think there there is a vacuum where the the receiver that gets the most, not you know, it's like the the designations of X, Y, and Z is the first look is the first read of the quarterback more often than not. I suppose you could have a purely egalitarian offense where it's split among three, four, five guys. But if one guy is the one that they're looking at first and looking at most often, and if you were in a personnel package with only one wide receiver on the game, Wes Welkler, I mean, every team has a little bit of a pecking order, right? I know it can get inverted where your number one receiver isn't the guy getting the most passes. But is, is Wes Welker the first read on those plays? I guess he is because they throw it so quick. They're like handoffs, yeah. Cool. Bubble screens and everything else. Didn't LeSean McCoy Feeling. lead the Bills in receiving? But it's sort of an interesting of thing. So you're saying you can have a team that doesn't have a number one receiver. You just don't have one. fill in number one receiver. Yeah, but number one receivers like, uh, Patriots yeah, didn't like have one power forward. Like just because just because you're the guy is the second tallest on your team doesn't make him a power forward. Well, but in a way, somebody's playing power forward. I guess. Or the four spot. You know, a lot of times they don't really play like a traditional power forward anymore. Or two-way center. But, and, and not every could. not every team has a two. Just because the guy plays your defensive center role doesn't mean he's your two-way center. And a, 20, a guy is your a, number it's one It's a role. Center. It's a thing. It's a thing yeah. a team right. needs. You need to have a number one receiver, but not every team has one. You can't right. say the 2017 Bills like their their leading receiver last year was Sean McCoy with 59 catches their second leading receiver was Charles Clay with 49 then you have to go down to Deontay Thompson and Zay Jones both with 27 I mean Deontay Thompson so, was never neither not, of those guys were, were never the number one, one receiver right, they didn't right. have one well anyways well sorry to disagree with you no you're won't let it happen again that's yeah, it's all right you can <laughs> and it does get I think sort of confusing in this world of fantasy football now yes. because every team does have a number one a receiver number one. in that context. Yeah. yeah, everything's point or uh yeah, points and yards and catches. 
ESPN.com in June has the number one wide receivers for all 32 NFL teams. Hmm. I think Kelvin Benjamin was listed as a not quite number one. Let's see who the Minnesota Vikings number one receiver is. Probably Diggs. What is with this? There is no Vikings logo. <laughs> there there it is. is. I was lo- Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Adam Thielen's not a number one receiver. Maybe that's what why is they wrong s- with you people. Steph Diggs there too. Who's another slot guy who leads? Who has a gazillion catches? Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry. Okay, I'm going to the Browns. And they're working on Callaway. Well, being this says their committee one. attack, right? Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. Right. Tyreek mm. Hill, number one wide receiver. No. Right. The hell is who did this? What's with the ESP? How about this? Listed. Oh, see now. Yeah. Pop up ads. We should mute that. Well, that you don't anyway? get pop up ads at the Athletic. I'm not used to this junk. Robert Woods is listed as the Rams' number uh, first name. Mm. What the heck is Brandon Cooks? Not really. I wouldn't call him a number one either. Let's go, let's go through this whole list. We got a few yeah. minutes before we get to Joel Staniszewski. Let's guy. go through this whole list. Now, some of them are obvious. Antonio Brown with the Steelers. Mm. AJ Green, Odell Beckham. These are Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, Larry Fitzgerald. All right, legacy. Michael Thomas. See now, there, there's a good one because Michael Thomas isn't the you know uh, the leading receiver there, is he? Demarius Thomas, Mike Evans, Devontae Adams. I think you missed DeAndre Hopkins somewhere in there. Did I? Did I skip over him? You might have. All right. Well, anyways. But I think he's sure. Yeah. Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson. See, Devontae Adams is not. No. No. Randall Cobb's not either. Nope. Doug Baldwin. Baldwin's no. T.Y. Hilton. No. Michael Crabtree. No. Kelvin Benjamin. No. Alshon Jeffrey. Yes. I would call Alshon yes. Jeffrey a number one wide receiver. Yeah. Julian Edelman? Not a chance in the world. <laughs> not even the num- not the number one. They didn't have one. Just because, again, targets. This is like a protected target share. Devin Funchess. Marquise Lee. No. Pierre so Garçon. That's no. why people think that. Amari Cooper. No. They're listing it. In Oakland. They're listing yeah. that as Oakland. This is preseason now. Right. Corey Davis. Robbie Anderson. No. Devontae Parker. Parker could have been, but he's never emerged. Josh Doxson. No. No. <laughs> now you have Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry for Cleveland. Browns. Adam changed. Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Adam Thielen is not a number one receiver. Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins. Mm. Golden Tate, Marvin Jones. And then it... Rams, the first name listed is Robert Woods. No, wow. Alan Hearns, Terrence Williams in Dallas. So that's the rundown. I got to read this intro. The heck is this? I think that you can estimate that there are 10 number one receivers in this league. This is Stephen Jones, Dallas Cowboys vice president, after the release of Des Bryant. 22 others get it done in another way. 10, yeah, that's what he's saying. He's agreeing with me. There are 10 number one receivers in this league, as opposed to there are not 30. Not every team has one. Just because he's your best guy on your team doesn't mean he's a number one receiver. That is essentially what this got to, is that there are 10, and then there was the other categories of not quite being a number one and then committee attack. So even though, for instance, Robert Woods was listed as the first receiver, they weren't saying that he was a number one. They were saying it's a committee attack. So this is going to target share this uh, rundown. Which receivers, uh, and that got us to thinking. I'm quoting the the article here. And that got us to thinking. 
which wide receivers fall into that number one wide receiver category and what is the best way to determine them? The answer, target share. False. No, it's not. It's not target share. It's the guy who plays that role. I think you could also say it comes down to salary. Teams build their teams with multiple receivers, and the one that's well, making Andre the most Holmes money. Andre Holmes last year was making the most money out of Bill's wide receivers nice. until they got Kelvin Benjamin. That's a good point, Mike. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Uh... What do you? What do we think? Let's. Who do we get on the phone to talk about this? Joel Staniszewski. I don't think Joel's gonna. Ha- he may have an opinion on this. <laughs> Joe Lakata could probably. Yeah. All you know, right, on let's... a high school team where there aren't, you know, the same names and reputations, does every high school offense have a number one receiver and is the one that gets the most passes? You know, does this translate to different levels of football? We're running out of time on this show. Let's take a break. <laughs> we'll get Joel Staniszewski. During this break, I'm going to see if I can reach out to a receiver, somebody who I uh, somebody who I trust on this, and we'll, we'll have a discussion on it if we can for even a couple of minutes. Let's get the Tim Graham on. Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is right here for you every Wednesday from 4 to 6 on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports writer Tim Graham. Good Tim. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, and this show is brought to you by Vive. Mm. I almost got through without stumbling over the, the read. This show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. How about them Sabres? Jonah, you were into that last night. I know you don't get into the hockey, but are they have well, they captured your heart? I wouldn't say that. No, no, no. Um, but what, what I did is I watched the game last night without covering it, just watched it for the entertainment value, and it was quite a game to do that for, especially the third period and the overtime and the way it finished up, Austin Matthews scoring with 2.7 seconds left. And I know a lot of Sabres fans are probably disappointed in the loss, but looking at it from a neutral perspective, it was quite a game, and these teams are going to play a lot more. Uh, over the years, as the announcer said, it, when it was over, it's too bad it's not a best-of-seven series. You kind of wanted to see them back on the ice against each other again. Mike Zeisberger, a good friend of mine, uh, Toronto uh, reporter who now works for NHL.com, had a column that he wrote today talking about uh, Eichel and Matthews and the rivalry that might be brewing here and two guys who seem to uh, maybe uh, be in that because of their age and their status on their teams, pushing each other to making each other better when you start playing or when you play each other so many times in a season of this rivalry and, of course, the crazy crowds that you get. And you definitely had that last night. Matthews had two goals. Eichel had two goals in the third period. I don't think, I'm not looking at all the lists, but the last in their head-to-heads over the years that they've had a lot of games like this where both of them were responsible for most of the team scoring. I don't know. 
Like how? What was the breakdown last night? You weren't at the game, right? No, no. Oh, well, it seemed like there was a lot of Leafs fans there. I saw. Oh yeah, I'm Jason sure there were. Tweeted I, I about was that. every game. I went. Was there was, a, especially was against the Canadian team, the, the, and it's the lower bowl. A lot of those season tickets are being sold yeah. on the secondary market. I think they're bought by brokers in the first place. Right. People are getting criticized. Don't sell your seats, but I think there's a lot of tickets that were bought by people that are planning on selling the seats for every game. We well, should have seen BB and T Center down in. Um, Sunrise, Florida, on Friday night. I was there for the the Sabers game against the Panthers, and that place was say half empty, which I'm sure is is par for the course down there. But of the fans that were there, it was at least fifty percent Sabers fans. Conehead was there, and you see a lot friend. of that. A lot no of kidding. Sabers fans are. Yeah. I think he lives down. There. I think our friend Sal Capaccio bought him a beer at a game one time. So the first time I've ever bought him a beer. Not but a bad place to live. It's the, it's a nice arena. The Sabers fans are very proud of Bills fans too. It, when they're you know expatriates and they're in other cities of their ability to fill up an opposing rink or an opposing stadium and have it be a little bit of a de facto home game for the Buffalo team, it is kind of ironic that that's happening to them a little bit in their own town. Well, it, it sounded like one at some points. So there would be a Let's Go Panthers chant, which would turn into a, a Let's Go Buffalo chant. It was funny, though, in overtime, because it was tied, went to overtime. They ended up playing the shout song. In with like three minutes left in overtime, unknowingly. It wasn't, you know, the Bills version, but it was It's a standard arena song. Right. And of course that riled up, you know, all the, the Buffalo fans there, and then a minute later the Panthers scored to win. But the concessions it wasn't intentional, but they have is it Salen, Salen's hot dogs? How yeah. do you pronounce it? Salen. Either one. Which are sold in Publix down there. You could get a, a Salen's hot dog, you could get a, a blue light. They had, you know, buffalo Rather chicken Rather than worry about how to poutine. say Salins, I want I would like for you to work on how you say hot dog. <laughs> yeah, hot dog. Hot dog. Hot dog. I'm yeah. sorry. I'll slow it down next time. But it, it is a nice arena. I mean, it's one of the few places in the NHL, given the time of year in which hockey is played, where in between periods you can walk outside. There's an outdoor area off of the concourse in a lot of areas, actually, of the arena. But the one we went to had couches outside and TVs, and um, we actually contemplated watching the third period from outside. It was, you know, 75 degrees out, might as well. But came back inside and had some some Sabres fans in front of us who were getting into a fight with some elderly Panthers fans next to us who then decided to leave. Good times. Were there a lot of Bills fans at the Dolphins game, Bills-Dolphins game? Honestly, there was fewer than I would have expected, or I should say there there were fewer than typical trips to Miami. Um, there were a few Bills fans in the parking lot. One of them stopped me, and he was inebriated and pointed at me, and he said, I know you. He said, you're Mike Rodak, or you're the guy from ESPN. I don't think he said my name. He said, you used to cover the Dolphins, and that's why all you do is talk BS about the Bills. He's got you confused with Tim. <laughs> or James Walker. People often confuse us. So, Did Russ Salvatore have his big party? Did that come back? Uh, I heard, yeah, I heard there was another member of the Buffalo media who was there and having a good time. It was a huge deal last year that it didn't happen, and now I well, didn't see anything Well, he complained to the NFL as if the NFL is sitting in their Manhattan offices scheduling games around Russ Salvatore's party. They have the Salvatore doctrine in the scheduling policy. Yeah. Jeez. But, I mean, it was – a good weekend if you're a Buffalo sports fan to come down there, but they lost all three games. So, it's a J.P. Lossman jersey at the uh, 
Panthers former game. in a Dolphins jersey or a Bills jersey because he played for both teams. That's right. It was in a Bills jersey. We need to get this argument settled uh, regarding what constitutes a number one receiver. Again, uh, to set it up for the guests that we're about to bring on here, uh, I don't think it is the person who gets the most of your targets. I don't think Wes Welker is a number one receiver or Adam Thielen or there are Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman is not a number one receiver. There is the number one receiver in my mind uh, is the guy who plays the role of the well, for lack of a better phrase, the big badass. And it's a job, not just the guy who gets the, the ball thrown to him the most. So on the line right now, on short notice, I want to thank him for this, is Hall of Fame receiver James Lofton, who would know a thing or two about being a number one receiver. Uh, James, what's your definition of a number one receiver? Boy, when you disqualified all those really good receivers, it made me start to uh, reconsider what I was going to say. They're really no. I want you. I want your response on this because my feeling is that just because he he might be your best receiver on your team, but that doesn't. I, I the number one receiver is supposed to be the guy I think who stretches the field, uh, who plays that that role of being the most. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to take up the time as we're he, running out he of it here. The number one receiver, and and I know you guys are pressed for the top of the hour. Thanks for doing this, James. Is, is a receiver who the defense is trying to stop and they can't. And and I would say Adam Thielen qualifies for that. And also part of my kind of number one receiver is what, what I call a standalone receiver. So someone who you can split out on one side of the field, the tight end and everybody else are on the other side, he can run a route against man-to-man coverage and win. Um you know, you don't see a lot of that because of the, the short passing game. Uh, guys setting up, getting rubs, getting little picks. Uh, a couple of guys run off. You run them on a 12-yard route underneath. You dump them the ball. So there are there are so many occasions when you don't have to be a number one receiver to get the football. And I, and I think that's what you're alluding to. But really, if, if I'm sitting in the defensive meeting room and we're watching tape on – your offense, and for the last four games, you've been throwing to uh, Zay Jones, and he keeps coming up with eight catches. And some of them, he's a standalone receiver. Some of them, he's with the tight end. He's with another receiver. He's in the slot. You move him around. Julio Jones moves around a lot, and defenses know he's going to move around a lot, and they alter their coverage everywhere he moves. So he is certainly a number one receiver, and I think that's what we think of when we think of number one receivers early pick, size, speed, strength, all of that. And, and I think Adam Thielen, because I heard you say his name, doesn't get that respect because of the way he got into the NFL. But he has now elevated himself to that role of number one receiver. You know, Stephon Diggs got the commercial where he can't get anything off his hands, but Adam Thielen is right. equal to him at least. Well, I think, the, and the reason I come at this uh, from this uh, angle, James, is that as the NFL has evolved into this pitch and catch league, right, is that that number one receiver is almost, or I should say, you know, the slot receiver maybe gets the most targets, but it's it's not. Um, it's almost like you're flirting with the rules, uh, whether it be you, you are, you are, you know, yeah. as uh, or as Bill Belichick they, they, would like they to catch say, a, they catch a lot of zero to ten yard passes. Yes. Yeah, and and that's and some of it is the ability to run after the catch. Some of it is the ability to take a big hit. 
The other thing is the ability to not have that ball skip off your hands every once in a while because you're looking around and that ball gets tipped up and goes to the defense. So you have to be really sure-handed to play in those tight areas. Um, Zach Erst, the uh, tight end for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, 93 receptions. He's their number one receiver right now, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so that's just one of those things that you kind of just have to qualify a little bit from team to team and from scheme to scheme. In conversation with Hall of Fame receiver James Lofton about what a number one receiver really is. So do you think, James, that uh, every team has a number one receiver? Every team does not have a dominant number one receiver. Okay. Every or a true think, number every, one receiver? Well, somebody, somebody has to fill the role, right? As we, not, we're making not, the point, not necessarily. Okay, not necessarily because you you don't have a guy that I said the opposing defense says okay we've got to alter our coverage when he's at when he's playing Z we've got to alter our coverage a little bit when he moves into the slot we've got to alter our coverage when he's the single receiver if 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 the guy doesn't fit that criteria then he then he's not a dominant number one receiver Antonio Brown whoa where is he. When he when he comes walking down the tunnel, you guys better know what he what he's wearing right. and, and where he's going. And if he goes to the bathroom, I want two guys standing outside to cover him as soon as he runs out of there. So, to, to me, that's what a, a dominant number one receiver is. Everybody has a number one receiver, kind of. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was getting at. You know, I've had these discussions before with uh, with scouts and coaches and mm-hmm. I've just always been of the belief that the number 1 receiver fits a uh a type and you like for you for instance, you, you're tall yeah. and have yeah. the speed, like you say, size, speed, strength, all that stuff and just because you get the most targets. Well, you know, let, that, let, let's slip this to another position. Franchise quarterback. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, when, when, when I had a chance to coach in the NFL, we did a simple exercise at the end of the season. Marty Schottenheimer had us rank every player on the team, regardless of whether or not you were coaching them. So as a receiver coach, I'm ranking the other 60, 65 players we have. And it was one of three categories. He can win games for us. We can win with him. Or we need better. And And it was really... Kind of, kind of easy, you know. You'd start off and you go, okay, we can, this guy can win games for us. When we can win with him, and and if you had so, too many need betters, you probably had not had a really convincing season. So that that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, this week, I have the um, Denver Broncos playing against the San Francisco 49ers, and the 49ers are in this all-out kind of uh, you're you're on audition mode for a lot of the players, uh, you know, even at the quarterback positions. They're letting Nick Mullins play over C.J. Beathard, a guy that they drafted in the third round a year ago, because they want to see what he can do. And, and that's kind of the way they're going at it at a lot of other positions, at the receiver positions, some of the defensive backs. So you're, you're making that evaluation every year, regardless of if you end up 12-4 and four, or you end up 4-12, and 12, and you've got to get your roster to the point where you've got enough players who can win games for you. And a number one receiver can certainly win games for you. Right. And real quick, James, because uh, we are up against it, and I, again, I'm grateful that you were able to do this on such short notice uh, and, and educate us. Um, you have thoughts on the Bills' decision to cut Kelvin Benjamin with uh, four games left in the season? 
you know, it, it, it always kind of breaks my heart when a, a player doesn't live up to uh, his expectations or the team's expectations. And for Kelvin Benjamin, that was the case in Carolina. And, and he just didn't seem to have the type of juice that you'd want from a former first-round pick, a guy who was getting a second chance at being a starter with another team. So you, you just wanted a little more. And if he's keeping the players who are playing behind him, from getting their chance and they're showing that they want to do it at practice and they want to do it in the weight room and in the meeting room, then it might've been time to cut the ties. All right. Well, James Lofton, again, uh, many, many thanks for doing this. Please let, please let me know if there's ever anything I could do for you to pay you back. It was nice of you to, to come in on like a, uh, the, the biggest pinch of all I, I just don't think I resolved the debate. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we kind of flirted with it, though. Uh, yeah. But we, uh, yeah, we at least gave people something to think about. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All thank right. You. James Lofton, Bills Hall of Famer, Packers, probably more, more known for the Packers. Raiders. Raiders. Yeah, who, I mean. That's what I, I mean, obviously I know him from the Bills, but I, that's what I seem to remember as prime, although he was very good in Green Bay, too. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, that was when I first fell in love with football, was 78. That He's was a guy who was year. a number one receiver and came to Buffalo and played a little bit of a different role. Yeah, that's right. Speed guy. Well, or he, all right, we're, we're, we're way past or maybe he here. didn't. We still don't know. Or, I think he was their number one receiver, even though you'd want to say Andre Reid, but Andre Reid played a little bit of a different role, I think. All right. I'm going to stand by it. Maybe we'll, this will be the topic next week. We'll get into it. I'm willing to say I'm wrong. I mean, when James Lofton tells me I'm wrong, I mean, but he also kind of fudged his responses a little bit too. But we did it on short notice. Maybe we'll do this. Uh, we'll get into a big segment next week on it. All right. Thanks to everybody for staying with us. Uh, thanks to uh, former Bill Center Eric Wood for joining us. Thank you to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic to talk about Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, thank you to, again, James Lofton uh, for my Big, crooked co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. For Jonah Bronstein, for Bobby Rosati, thanks for listening to The Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.